daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day when there is great evidence that uh, the bulk of American opinion does support Israel in its war for security and survival and against maniacal terrorism. Uh, we'll get to that. We will also get to uh, a, uh, a, a literary and uh, military expert uh, for the Jerusalem Post who talks about why the entire episode of striking back at Hamas has been working well to reestablish deterrence. Uh, there's also a column to that effect by Walter Russell Mead in the Wall Street Journal, which we will be covering. And we will be speaking about one of the dumbest ideas in public policy over the last, last generation, which is destigmatizing drug use, basically saying that, well, drug use is a normal part of life and we have to help people uh, take their various recreational drugs and very destructive drugs safely that if you do it safely, everything will be fine. We'll be speaking to two distinguished professors who have written a scathing piece in The Atlantic about uh, how destigmatizing drug use has been a profound mistake. And also, is there some mystery that needs to be solved about the proliferation of globes I'm not now talking about the Golden Globe Awards. That's <laughs> that's its own uh, situation. And by the way, it's fascinating because I don't think there's ever been another time where the two movies that are absolutely dominant with the most nominations were released on the same day. Uh, yes, of course, it's the Barbenheimer uh, phenomenon, uh, Barbie and Oppenheimer. We will get to that. As well, uh, but first off, uh, the news uh, strikes very close to home. It says uh, that um, Israel's war erupts at sea, but this is threatening to drag in the U.S. Uh, with Israel expanding its offensive against the Palestinian Hamas movement in the south of the Gaza Strip. Maritime attacks being conducted hundreds of miles away by a powerful Yemeni movement aligned with Iran, that's the Houthis, as they are generally known, mark a growing escalation with the potential to drag the U.S. deeper into the conflict. The latest attack claimed today by the Ansar Allah movement, also known as the Houthis, saw an anti-ship Missile strike a Norwegian flagged tanker transiting the Red Sea off the coast of Yemen. They're attacking a Norwegian ship. Is Norway deeply involved here? Well, Norway is a proud member of NATO, but really, uh, Ansar Allah military spokesman Yahya Sari announced that the brazen operation was conducted because the vessel was transporting crude oil to Israel which the group has vowed to cut off from international shipping because of its actions in Gaza. The Yemeni armed forces will not hesitate to target any ship that violates what was stated in the previous statement, Sari said, portraying Ansar Allah's forces as the legitimate military of Yemen. Uh, 
Though the group's rule over much of the country remains internationally unrecognized in the midst of an ongoing and hideous civil war. By the way, the one thing about this and the involvement of the Houthis so much on the side of Hamas, this is one of the reasons that there are very smart people who look ahead and say that uh, at the end of this war, which could be another one month, could be another two months. Uh, the that's the estimation from the uh, secretary, the minister of defense in Israel, Yoav Gallant, who has been speaking about this. But uh, part of what works here and why the Houthi attacks on American resources and attempting to attack Israeli resources, it's it's really forcing Israel and Saudi Arabia closer together. Uh, you may have heard that one of the reasons there is speculation that the Hamas decided to launch the devastating attack that they launched on October 7th was to try to block further reconciliation and cooperation between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And the whole idea of that cooperation is to stand up against Iran and Iran's allies, uh, what, what Saudis have recognized, and Prince uh, uh, Mohammed bin Sultan, the uh, de facto ruler of Saudi Arabia, has been very clear about this. They have recognized that their greatest enemy is not Israel. Their greatest enemy is Iran. And Israel has, uh, according to Walter Russell Mead in the Wall Street Journal, Israel has actually benefited from uh, uniting and showing its determination in the current conflict. Uh, Walter Russell Mead writes, uh, Dateline Tel Aviv, the Jewish state and the Zionist movement that sustains it is emerging from this crisis stronger than before. That's my conclusion after a week in Israel traveling to the combat zones in the north and south, touring the Gaza area kibbutzim, that were occupied by Hamas and meeting with Israelis ranging from senior government officials to survivors of the October 7th attacks struggling to put their lives back together. Israel is more united. Its citizens are more determined to fight for their state. And Jews around the world have renewed their commitment to the Zionist cause. I spoke to Israelis across the political spectrum from leaders of the pre-October 7th protests against Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's government to senior officials in the war cabinet. I heard only commitment to supporting the government through the war. Politics isn't dead in Israel. Protests demanding Mr. Netanyahu's resignation have resumed and profound disagreements bubble below the surface. But none of this affects the country's determination to prosecute the war. Israelis from all political camps are determined to put national security first when uh, the war ends. By the way, this is very much the theme of a terrific article that my wife just completed and uh, which I had the opportunity to proofread and applaud. Uh, we're going to be posting it uh, soon, but it's a basically a summary of reports of People from very disparate backgrounds and people with different levels of religiosity 
uh, uniting and coming together and going out of their way to support a larger cause. And uh, the way that uh, healthy countries do come together when they face profound and, and very difficult danger. Uh, the, uh, the idea of uh, ultra-religious, as they say, ultra-Orthodox people, Haredim in Israel, who have uh, made it a point of pride that they are going to only be studying Torah and not serving in the military – have volunteered by the thousands for the military for the first time. It's a big deal in terms of changing Israel and looking to Israel's future. We'll talk about that coming up with uh, a top military correspondent. In fact, he is the top military correspondent with uh, uh, the Jerusalem Post. His name is Yonah Jeremy Bob, and he wrote a terrific column about the idea of deterrence and what Israel has accomplished with this war. We will get to that and much more, including what's holding up Ukraine aid really in Congress. Is it the Republicans and their selfishness and political games, or does it go deeper than that? We'll get to that and much more on The Medved Show. Your daily dose of debate. Give me more. The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show. Uh, President uh, Biden has been meeting with President Zelensky of Ukraine. We will get to that and the question of Ukraine aid, which is currently stalled in the Congress of the United States. Meanwhile, the war goes on in Gaza, and it is a war that Walter Russell Meade, writing in the Wall Street Journal, says is going reasonably well. He was just there inspecting the sites of battle. Someone who is also there, lives there, works there, is uh, our very special guest, whose name is Yona uh, Jeremy Bob. He is a military, senior military reporter, also a literary editor at the Jerusalem Post. And he wrote a powerful piece in the journal about the message being sent by the war so far not just to Hamas and its supporters, but to uh, the far more formidable forces of Iran and Hezbollah. Uh, Jeremy, um, or Yona Bob, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Glad to be here. Uh, first of all, what is the message being sent to hostile forces in the region, particularly including Iran and Hezbollah? The message is that Israel has been playing defense for well over a decade, you could say 15 years, almost 20 years. Um, all the emphasis has been on you know, the Iron Dome missile system, the Arrow Dome missile system. How can Israel protect its home front from Hamas in Gaza, from Hezbollah in Lebanon, 
from Iran's ballistic missiles, now from the Houthis in Yemen's ballistic missiles, um, without going big time on offense. And now Israel's big time on offense. It's already pretty much defeated Hamas in Gaza City, in northern Gaza, which was Hamas's main headquarters. Um, I was in one of, we could say, the main headquarters, the underground tunnels of Shifa Hospital. Um, it was a serious, serious tunnel network, a vast tunnel network. Um, and so Israel is there and has taken it. And about a week ago, Israel went into southern Gaza, into Khan Yunis. That's sort of like, let's say, the, the second most important, the southern capital of Gaza for, for Hamas. And it may take, you know, some weeks. It may take a month and a half. But um, Israel is, is routing Hamas in any place that they uh, go. And from what I saw in northern Gaza, the, the, you know, the flattening, basically, of certain neighborhoods, that is the message, that is the picture that they're saying to Hezbollah, to Iran, if you go too far with us, this could happen to you. Okay. Meanwhile, there's a report today that the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, have begun pumping seawater into Hamas's complex of tunnels in Gaza. Uh, will flooding the tunnels permanently uh, demobilize them and uh, reduce their effectiveness for Hamas? So it's definitely one of a number of different solutions that Israel is using. Israel also has robots. Israel also has a variety of different kinds of explosives, um, special tunnel units uh, that work on these things. Um, so it, this is like sort of a newer method that's you know being tried out. Um, my understanding, it's not necessarily a solve everything because the tunnels go up, down, and all around basically, um, and they're again you know really go in a lot of different directions. But, um, you know, to the extent that it can be used, it's, it can be a very efficient way of getting rid of uh, certain tunnels, of getting Hamas out of certain tunnels, and without risking Israeli soldiers' lives. A number of the Israeli soldiers who have been killed, and over 100 now, have been killed since the invasion. That's not, not counting the 1,200 Israelis who were killed on October 7th, but a number of the 100 that have been killed in the invasion have been killed around, you know, booby traps around tunnels. And uh, in in terms of uh, the hostages, uh, is the assumption still that the hostages are being held prisoner in the tunnel network somewhere underneath Gaza? Yeah. So uh, basically, you know, originally there was a thought that some of them, you know, were being held in northern Gaza, some of them in southern Gaza, some of them above ground, some of them in the tunnels. And once Israel had control of basically all of northern Gaza, other than um, one neighborhood called Chijaya, where there's still some serious fighting going, but almost all of northern Gaza, um, it, you know, it must be that the hostages, the remaining hostages, are in southern Gaza. Um, a lot of them were expected to be in Khan Yunus, where Israel's fighting now. It is possible that in allowing some of the civilians um, to leave Khan Yunus and go even further south to Rafah, or to um, a humanitarian zone within Khan Yunus, so maybe some of them have moved. You know, the next question I ask in an analysis I wrote in the Jerusalem Post uh, this morning's paper is, is it possible that Israel may try to sort of take over almost all parts of Gaza while leaving a little strip for the top leaders and the hostages and then sort of put them under siege? Um, it, it's hard to say right now, but uh, you know, again, Israel already has northern Gaza under control, 
and I think we'll have most of southern Gaza under control within either a period of weeks or a month and a half. I have been fascinated by the fact that the Houthi rebels, uh, who are pro-Iranian, Iranian-supported uh, 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 group who have uh, uh, been launching missiles at shipping. They apparently sent a, a rocket to try to take out a Norwegian tanker recently. Their activity in this war uh, is particularly upsetting to the Saudis, isn't it? I mean, the Saudis have committed a great deal of resources to trying to subdue the Houthi rebels, no? Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, so there's, you know, sort of one of the vectors here is between the Houthis in Yemen, who are proxy of Iran, and the Saudis. And the Saudis really have tried to do a lot, both trying war, both trying diplomacy, um, to get the Houthis to sort of tone it down, at the very least, you know, cause chaos only in their own country and not beyond. Um, a number of people say that one of the reasons that neither Israel nor the United States have come down harder on the Houthis is because of the Houthi threat to fire rockets at the Saudis if they do that. Um, so, yeah, that is, it's a big issue for the Saudis. Um, and I'll come back to my, my recent book, Target Tehran, which really focuses on, on Iran. And the Houthis, again, are a proxy of Iran. Hezbollah is a proxy of Iran. Hamas is a proxy of Iran. All of this, at the end of the day, even though our focus right now is on Hamas, Iran is not only a threat you know, to Israel for the next three years, five years, 25 years. It's a global threat. It does not appear like, you know, even though the Biden administration tried very hard to make a nuclear deal with Iran to go back into the JCPOA, the deal from 2015, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Iran's kicked out nuclear inspectors. So if Iran is going to use the Houthis and the Hamas and Hezbollah to make you know, trouble for the world, um, I, I do hope that uh, you know, there's going to be more focus on not just these proxies, but on Iran itself. Let us continue this conversation uh, with Yona Jeremy Bob. He is the author of the new Amazon bestseller, Target Tehran, How Israel is Using Sabotage, Cyber Warfare, Assassination, and Secret Diplomacy to stop a nuclear Iran and to create a new Middle East. What does that mean, and how much longer will the fighting go on in Gaza? We'll be right back with Yona, Jeremy, Bob, coming up. God help me, I'm addicted to... The Michael Medved Show. Our guest, Yona Jeremy Bob, uh, is the Jerusalem Post senior military correspondent. He has also served in top Israeli ministries uh, in his, with posts at the IDF, uh, the Foreign Ministry, and the Justice Ministry of the government. He's also the author of the new Amazon bestseller, Target Tehran, how Israel is using sabotage, cyber warfare, assassination, and secret diplomacy to stop a nuclear Iran and create a new Middle East. Uh, do you believe or do you know that planning for a potential strike to stop the nuclear program in Iran, is that still going forward with all of the immediate dangers regarding Hezbollah and Hamas? Um, definitely the plan is still out there. 
Um, I can say that uh, only a few months before this current war, I was in a classified briefing where I saw with extreme specificity that I obviously can't go into the degree of planning. And if you, if you can sort of see uh, from the reporting the number of targets that Israel's artificial intelligence and big data machine have been able to dig up in Gaza, imagine applying that to Iran. There's a whole team that was made to work on this in Iran using the same tools. And so if five years ago or 10 years ago, an Israeli preemptive strike in Iran would have been more narrowly limited to just the nuclear program and taking out its air defense in order to take out the nuclear program. What you would see if, if Israel said, you know, we need to take the risk because Iran is going to cross the line, the attack would be a lot more vast today than it would have been in the past. With uh, that in the background, uh, there has been a great deal of concern about the level of casualties, uh, despite the fact that those casualties, of course, are often misstated in the American press because they will say 17,000 people have died, according to the Hamas Health Ministry. And uh, today, for the first time I saw in the Associated Press, they indicated that many of those people may in fact have been Hamas fighters. But with all of that going on, do you believe that the uh, vigor of the Israeli attack on Hamas and the determination against Hamas has done anything to undermine or actually to uh, improve the chances of agreements and cooperation between Israel and other Arab states like Saudi Arabia? It's a very complicated question. I mean, let's start off with the goal of Israel's counter-invasion of Gaza. I say counter-invasion because we have to remember that this started with the Hamas invasion of 3,000 terrorists or fighters, whatever you want to call them, into Israel, killing 1,200 people, mostly civilians, and kids of its soldiers, terrorists, whatever you want to call them, fighting against Israeli soldiers, basically almost army to army. That'll be over, and you'll have more hit-and-run guerrilla warfare tactics, 510 Hamas uh, forces attacking, you know, one small Israeli position here, one small Israeli position there, and that could go on for a very long time. They're estimating that would go on for three to nine months, but nobody really knows how long that'll go on for. And uh, the this, of course, is assuming uh, some Israeli continued presence in Gaza. Uh, there's not going to be a repeat of 2005 where Israel <laughs> left Gaza completely uh, and decisively. Um, right. Uh, Israel is planning to have some sort of security zone, not just in the north, but running all along the border. Because Gaza, if you look at map, runs along various parts of the Israeli border. And that could be for a while. That could be, you know, until Israel feels... The, the situation in Gaza has changed enough that it can withdraw from that. In the meantime, this will, will, will you know, already, quote-unquote, give Gaza over to somebody else to sort of manage the day-to-day -day affairs. So kiss me under the mistletoe. And on the Michael Medved Show, in this wonderful holiday season, 
And first of all, it's very interesting talking to uh, uh, Yona uh, Jeremy Bob, that uh, correspondent for the Jerusalem Post. He lives in Modain, which is a um, very historic part of Israel. That's where the entire story of Hanukkah originated. Uh, so very appropriate for this time of year. And for this time of year, whether you're celebrating Hanukkah or winter solstice or the great Christmas holiday, uh, the uh, fact is that people think of giving gifts, sharing some of the joy and the light of the season. Uh, one gift that is particularly appropriate is uh, my most recent book, which is called God's Hand on America, Divine Providence in the Modern Era. And... It includes some very important background about the American and Christian contribution to the Zionist movement, to the idea of the rebuilding of a Jewish homeland. And uh, the, the book is available in exclusive, autographed, personally, by me, hardcover copy. And if you get the book, you get a free uh, Medved History Store program uh, which is called The Secret History of the Christmas Holiday, which is one of the most popular of all the history programs we've ever done. Uh, you would get that on CD. It's a <clears throat> free lecture and uh, one that I think you will enjoy immensely. So go to uh, michaelmedved.com or you can go directly to medvedhistorystore.com and get your copy of God's Hand on America, autographed, hardcover, and uh, first edition, by the way, and uh, together with the uh, special CD bonus, The Secret History of the Christmas Holiday. Meanwhile, there is a such a wonderful column. I Sometimes you, you read things and you try to highlight, this is what I do, you try to highlight the paragraphs that are particularly important that I want to share with people and the new column by Walter Russell Mead that I've spoken about just for moments before is one of those columns where it is just full of wisdom and insight and stuff that people should know. The headline is October 7 attack made Israel stronger and it said this, uh, Jews in liberal Western countries initially scoffed at Herzl's Zionist idea of a return to the homeland. And he's right about that. But the grim course of 20th century history vindicated Herzl's insights and recruited brilliant disciples and able campaigners into the Zionist camp. Decisions in the U.S. and elsewhere to slam the door on desperate Jewish refugees from the Nazis further strengthened the appeal of Zionism to the world's Jews. Such decisions also brought to uh, Palestine the committed Zionist recruits without whom the Jewish community there could never have won its independence or built a state. In perhaps the greatest instance of Jew haters shooting themselves in the foot, vindictive Middle Eastern mobs and governments forced some 850,000 Jews to flee to Israel in the aftermath of the War of Independence. Those immigrants, those refugees, and their descendants feel no guilt for Palestinian dispossession 
and are skeptical of Arab intentions because they themselves were refugees and driven out really on pain of death from Arab nations like Morocco and Iran, not an Arab nation, but a Muslim nation, and Iraq and Egypt. And uh, in fact, there was a president of Israel who was born in Tehran. But what's amazing, and most people don't realize, is that they are, he says, a plurality of Israeli Jews today. No, they are a majority of Israeli Jews, 55% are people who were not refugees from the Holocaust, were not refugees from uh, Europe, were not uh, European colonialists. They weren't from Europe. They were from North Africa and the Middle East. And for Israel, bad Palestinian strategy, writes Walter Russell Mead, for Israel, bad Palestinian strategy is the gift that keeps on giving. Over the decades, Palestinian resistance movements have consistently been too weak and fragmented to threaten Israel's survival. Nevertheless, their constant low-level threat led Israelis to develop the first-class defense and technology capabilities that make it an indispensable partner for countries all over the world. The unspeakable barbarity of the Hamas attacks has again united and strengthened Israel while accomplishing nothing for the Palestinian people. The Jew haters who overshadowed more peaceful and responsive demonstrators across the U.S. streets and campuses have deeply damaged the Palestinian cause with centrist opinion. Such displays remind Americans that anti-Jewish bigotry and the ignorance it fosters threaten the foundations of American life. Uh, this is profound and important. Meanwhile, there's also an important decision coming up about what the Congress is going to do to provide the aid that President Biden is seeking for Israel and the aid that he's seeking for Ukraine and Taiwan, and at the same time to provide some strengthening of the U.S. border. Uh, the uh, Jim Garrity writes in the National Review, you will notice this week that the debate over additional Ukraine aid is almost always framed as those stubborn and transigent isolationist Republicans aren't willing to help Ukraine. And it is true enough that Republicans insist that one of their top priorities, border security, gets funded alongside the aid for Ukraine, as well as Taiwan and Israel. House Speaker Mike Johnson said at a Wall Street Journal summit yesterday, My message to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will be the same as it's been to the president, meaning Joe Biden. This is an important battle for all the reasons we know, but I don't think it's a radical proposition to say that if we're going to have a national security supplemental package, it ought to begin with our own national security. But notice how rarely, writes Jim Garrity, uh, President Biden and congressional Democrats are portrayed as stubborn or intransigent for refusing to make the border security changes that Republicans want in order to reach a deal on Ukraine. And no, Republicans are not demanding the construction of a big, beautiful wall from the Gulf of Mexico to the Pacific, although their offer does call for resuming the border fencing construction that Biden canceled at the start of his presidency. 
Senate Republicans want the current overload system of uh, asylum claims to be changed so that not everybody who shows up at the border and says they're seeking asylum gets to stay in the country indefinitely. Senate Republican demands include a set of restrictive changes to U.S. asylum law, including a rule that would render migrants ineligible for asylum if they transited through a third country without seeking refuge refuge there before reaching American soil. If you think that's some kind of mad xenophobic proposal, let's check in with two senators who are usually portrayed as reasonable voices for common sense. And uh, then he talks about Senator John Fetterman, who supports some of these changes, and Mitt Romney. And Romney said on Meet the Press on Sunday, well, I don't know specifically how quickly the money has to get to Ukraine, the armament has to get to Ukraine, whether we could wait until January. But I can say just a couple of things. One is it's not just Republicans that are holding a hard line. It's Democrats that are holding a hard line. Either side can move and get this done. And here's the position of my side and our side. And that is we have gone from 1,000, 2,000 encounters, illegal encounters at the border a day under the three prior presidents, under Bush, Obama, and Trump, 1,000 to 2,000 a day. Now we're looking at 10,000 to 12,000 a day. As Pennsylvania John Fetterman said, we are basically seeing a city the size of Pittsburgh show up at the border every month. We're at a rate of incursions into this country of about 4 million a year. That's larger than the population of 24 of our states. So we want to solve that to secure the border. I just saw the president of the United States say that we've got to secure the border. He's right. So any effort that doesn't do that will be rejected by Republicans. We want to get it back to the level that existed under the three prior presidents. And the point over here is what Mitt Romney says is entirely...